Welcome to Meridian Magazine's Come Follow Me podcast. We're Scott and Maureen Proctor, and this week's podcast is on some of the parables of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 13 and Luke chapters 8 and 13. The title of this lesson is, Who Hath Ears to Hear? Let Him Hear. We're going to talk about that very saying later on in the lesson. Thanks again to Paul Cardall for the music that opens and closes this podcast. We learned something wonderful from the Prophet Joseph's life that is a great example for all of us. The Prophet's writings and sermons are filled with scriptural quotations and interpretations, for he had studied the scripture so extensively that they became an integral part of his thinking. In his teachings, he quoted scriptures directly, he alluded to them, he paraphrased them, and he used them as the foundation for his sermons. Quote, I know the scriptures and understand them, he declared in April 1844. Can we say the same about us? Isn't that a wonderful pattern and example for us to follow? It really is, and that's what this Come Follow Me curriculum does for us at home. Joseph's extraordinary knowledge of the scriptures allowed him to teach and interpret them with great power and clarity, and many who heard him speak remembered this ability. President Brigham Young recalled that the prophet could take the scriptures and make them so plain and simple that everybody could understand. Shouldn't we be striving to do the same thing in our home and families? That kind of reminds me of the Savior with those two on the road to Emmaus when he unfolded the scriptures to them so that they understood them and the life of his and his ministry. You know, he just unfolded everything to them so that their hearts were burning within them. That's the way this is. That idea of unfolding is so beautiful because it means there's more and more and more. And as they're unfolding, something inside of your soul is unfolding as well. Listen how one brother who knew the prophet Joseph well recounted Joseph's knowledge of the scriptures. This is Wandel Mace. He said, I have listened to the prophet Joseph Smith in public and in private, in sunshine and in shower, as many others have done, as he taught them from the stand. And in my own and in his house, I have been familiar with him, and do know that no man could explain the scriptures, throw them wide open to view so plainly that none could misunderstand their meaning, except he had been taught of God. I have sometimes felt ashamed of myself because... Having studied the scriptures so much, even from a child, I had not seen that which was so plain when he touched them. He, as it were, turned the key, and the door of knowledge sprang wide open, disclosing precious principles, both new and old. Wow, the prophet Joseph really set an example for us, didn't he? He did, and it makes me feel like treasures are there waiting for us. Now, Jesus taught in parables. We only have a record of at least 23 different parables that Jesus taught. Our record is small, but we love what we do have and can learn great things from those. A parable is a story with a hidden meaning. The word parable in Greek means a setting side by side or a comparison. We see everyday things presented that are then able to be understood with divine truths. Remember, these are not just stories. They are meant to be understood at multiple levels and depths and in different eras and dispensations. A parable is designed to conceal and reveal eternal truths. The parable of the sower is a special one because the Lord himself not only gives it in verses 3 through 9 of Matthew 13, but as an added bonus, he tells his disciples the meaning 
in verses 18 through 23. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in this podcast about how the scriptures become commentary for themselves and how we can learn the very meanings right in the scriptures. Elder Dallin H. Oaks gave an entire talk on the parable of the sower from the April 2015 General Conference. This is a great talk to go over as a family or an individual study so that you can come to understand this parable more deeply. Let's look at some of these things and try to understand how to apply them in our lives and families and hearts. Elder Oaks teaches us about the stony ground with no root. Quote, This is the circumstance of new members who are merely converted to the missionaries or to the many attractive characteristics of the church or to the many great fruits of church membership. Not being rooted in the word, they can be scorched and wither away when opposition arises. But even those raised in the church, long-term members, can slip into a condition where they have no root in themselves. I have known some of these, members without firm and lasting conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we are not rooted, Elder Oaks continues, in the teachings of the gospel and regular in its practices, any one of us can develop a stony heart, which is stony ground for spiritual seeds. Spiritual food is necessary for spiritual survival, especially in a world that is moving away from belief in God and the absolutes of right and wrong. So it's not going to be enough for the gospel to just go over the surface of our lives and not ever be planted deeply inside of us. We won't be able to stand if we are superficial or merely busy, but not deeply rooted. Mm, That's correct. Elder Oaks talks about the seeds that fall among thorns. He said the most subtle thorns to choke out the effect of the gospel word in our lives are the worldly forces that Jesus called the, quote, cares and riches and pleasures of this life in Luke 8, 14. They're too numerous to recite, but some examples will suffice. We surrender to the pleasures of this life when we are addicted, which impairs God's precious gift of agency, or two, when we are beguiled by trivial distractions, which draw us away from things of eternal importance. And that is really a big temptation for all of us. We have so much that distracts us in this world. Three, when we have an entitlement mentality, which impairs the personal growth necessary to qualify us for our eternal destiny. Sometimes we think that God should just be a genie delivering things to us, and we don't understand the work that's involved in our own spiritual development. We are overcome by the cares of this life when we are paralyzed by fear of the future, which hinders our going forward in faith, trusting in God and his promises. And boy, that's a big temptation too. I love one statement Elder Oak says that really helps us understand this parable. Quote, The Savior's examples could cause us to think of this parable as the parable of the soils. The suitability of the soil depends upon the heart of each one of us who is exposed to the gospel seed. In susceptibility to spiritual teachings, some hearts are hardened and unprepared, some hearts are stony from disuse, and some hearts are set upon the things of the world. End of quote. How is our soil? I guess is a good question. That's something we should ponder. Most of you have done a garden or have a garden now or even some flower beds. You know how important soil is for growing productive vegetables and beautiful flowers. You have to have good soil. You have to work the soil. You have to fertilize it and break it up and water it and put in the right minerals and sometimes other things to break it down if it's too hard. Elder Oaks teaches, we have the seed of the gospel word 
It's up to each of us to set the priorities and to do the things that make our soil good and our harvests plentiful. We must seek to be firmly rooted and converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We achieve this conversion by praying, by scripture reading, by serving, and by regularly partaking of the sacrament to always have his spirit to be with us. We must also seek that mighty change of heart that replaces evil desires and selfish concerns with the love of God and the desire to serve him and his children. There are, of course, other things that make our soil good for receiving the word. It's amazing how when we are serving others, for example, our hearts become softened and our soil is much more capable of receiving the Spirit and personal revelation. This includes serving others in the temple. Here, perhaps more than anywhere else, our soil is worked and refined and tilled and broken up to receive the word. This reminds me of Alma 32, verse 28. See how this applies to having good soil. Now we will compare the word unto a seed. Now if ye give place that a seed may be planted in your heart, behold, if it be a true seed or a good seed, if you do not cast it out by your unbelief, that's a soil issue right there, that you will resist the Spirit of the Lord, there's another soil issue, behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts, and when you feel these swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourselves, It must needs be that this is a good seed, or that the word is good, for it beginneth to enlarge my soul, yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding, yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. I love that. These are some of my favorite words in scriptures because that idea of enlarging my soul and enlightening my understanding and something that's delicious to me, how can there be anything better? You know, there are times when we don't feel that. And we can tell that something is wrong, and usually the something that is wrong is in our own soil. We might say, God just isn't listening to me, or he won't respond to me. But in reality, we have to look back to our own soil, which may be coming hardened, or maybe becoming stony, and it's our own soil we begin to work. So we turn back to the scriptures, we turn back to the Lord, and we say, maybe I've grown a little distant. And that's why I am not feeling things right now. And these are all thoughts that just come from the parable of the sower. You see how the Lord gives us this parable and he lets it open and unfold to our view as we ponder these things and reflect on them and think about them over and over again. Then we see a much deeper meaning than just the very simple story that it seems to be. I love this too, because if there's something we do have some control over, it's our own soil. That is within our will, within our control we can become soft to be able to receive the word. Remember the prophet Amulek when he first introduces himself to his listeners. Reflect on his words and what kind of soil he had in his heart to this point in his life. This is in Alma 10, 5 and 6. Nevertheless, after all this, I never have known much of the ways of the Lord, he said, and his mysteries and marvelous power. I said I never had known much of these things, but behold, I mistake. For I have seen much of his mysteries and his marvelous power, yea, even in the preservation of the lives of this people. Nevertheless, I did harden my heart, for I was called many times, and I would not hear. Therefore, I went on rebelling against God in the wickedness of my heart. That statement of Amulek's is so worthy of consideration in relation to this parable of the sower, or the parable of the soils. I was called many times, and I would not hear. Therefore, I knew concerning these things, yet I would not know. 
it makes me want to be willing to know and be willing to hear when I'm called. How many times do we resist the Spirit of the Lord in our lives? I think we do often. I remember I received a letter once from my mother in the mission field in Germany, and she said this to me. She said, Scott, I believe that 95% of the missionaries are given inspiration and guidance about 100% of the time, but few of them follow these promptings. Pay attention to those promptings in every particular, she said. After I got that note, I thought I would try to be more careful to follow that specific prompting that I received at doors and on the street, and I wanted my soil to be rich and fertile and productive. That very next day, I tried to listen carefully to whatever I would be told. We rang one buzzer, and of course, that's the way it is in Germany. You ring all these little buzzers at these apartment buildings, and the lady said, Ja bitte? That's the standard thing we heard, kind of like, what do you want? We started with our standard approach. Guten Morgen, uh, wir sind Repräsentanten der Kirche Jesu Christi der Heiligen der letzten Tage, und wir haben eine ganz wichtige Botschaft für Sie und Ihre Familie. That means, you know, we're representatives of the church and we have a really important message for you and your family. The woman immediately said, keine Interesse, no interest. And she started to close the door. At that point, the spirit said to me, ask her what kind of dog she has. <laughs> As the door was shutting, I said, was für einen Hund haben Sie? What kind of dog do you have? Also, ich habe einen Schäferhund, she said. Oh. Sehr gut. I, ich, hab, ich habe Hunde so sehr gern, I said. I, I love dogs so much. She then said, of course, in German, would you two like to come in? We were able to have a five-minute discussion about dogs and then a 55-minute discussion about the plan of salvation. That left the woman feeling the spirit. Now, I'd like to say that there's, I could wrap this story up in a bow and she was baptized. That wasn't the case, but it blessed her life that day, and I followed the prompting that was given me at the door. My soil was able to receive the word, and this woman was blessed that day. So Jesus taught with parables, even as the sower who was sowing his seed by the way and his listeners had various kinds of soil. It's interesting that so many of his parables do involve this idea of agricultural images. Of course, this is the world he grew up in, and we see that he was always the careful observer of nature. And this idea of the parable of the soils is interesting because it harks back to the way that seeds were sowed anciently. It's interesting in the Galilee where he is in his ministry, there's very fertile soil, but there's also a lot of volcanic rocks. And so, but that volcanic action over the years has created very fertile soil, but also lots of stony ground, lots of places where there are weeds and, and thistles and briars and all kinds of things. So the mix is a perfect image for his listeners. And now when the sower went forth to sow, he would have a large bag in front of him. And oftentimes that bag would have holes in the bottom that the seeds would start coming out of those holes, but he would take his hand and he would fan this out in front of him and to the side. And sometimes even on a, a windy day, which is much harder to sow seed on that day, the seeds would blow over to the side and some of it would land on stonier soil than the soil that the sower was trying to get it on. So it would be spread out in different ways. And this is a perfect image for those listeners to understand. So here's what we hear in scriptures, Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. 
This is he which received seed by the wayside. Doesn't that happen so often? I remember many times teaching someone the gospel and they didn't really understand it and they couldn't receive it and they would just reject it immediately. It was just like, I, I don't accept anything that you're saying. And that was that soil issue right there. And we may even see family members like that. They resist what we're teaching. And sometimes we may be like that. We do not let that seed be as deeply planted as we'd like. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. And boy, that is the case today. We have so many who are offended by the word. I've seen this amongst the, uh, well, just about every age group. We worked with young single adults for a long time, and there were some that became offended at the word. They got onto a website, or they got onto some information that was incorrect, and they just started saying, well, I don't know if I believe anymore. And, you know, they had that root that hadn't gone down deep into that good soil. And I've seen this more often than I would like to see. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. This is that idea, again, of distraction, and distracted by material goods, distracted by power and place and trivia, all the things that can distract us, the thorns that choke it out. Then again, but he that received seed unto the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Do you see then how this parable could be open to the view of his listeners and to us today? Many of Jesus' followers understood this only as a simple story of farming. Some understood this as the story that it was meant to be, to teach the law of the harvest and to have our hearts prepared to receive the word of the Lord and to be profitable servants and bring forth much fruit as we follow the promptings of the Spirit of the Lord. In Matthew 13, verse 12, he said, "'Whosoever hath to him shall be given.'" We are taught throughout the scriptures that as we receive the word or receive light or virtue or knowledge, then we are able to receive more and more. In Doctrine and Covenants, section 50, verse 24, it reads, That which is of God is light, and he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light, and that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. In verse 25, it says, And again, verily I say unto you, and I say it that you may know the truth, that you may chase darkness from among you. And that also brings us back to the verse before. In verse 23, it says, And that which doth not edify is not of God and is darkness. So we see this. We have to receive light. And the Lord is trying to give us light. And as we receive more of it, he'll give us more. And it groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. And in a world where there is so much darkness, we really do have to do our part in chasing darkness from us, in our homes, in our hearts, in our workplaces, wherever we are. This gives us some clear thinking on what to do. Inappropriate movies, music, books, magazines, internet sites, searches, all these things. I remember a member of our state presidency back in Virginia once was talking about magazines that we don't take at home, but that might be sitting around while we're waiting at the barber shop or getting our oil changed or at the doctor's office. There may be an inappropriate article that we would never read at home, but perhaps we think it's okay to read there in these few moments we have. Don't do it, he said. Chase darkness from among you. We read in Doctrine and Covenants, section 93, verse 28, He that keepeth his commandments receiveth truth and light, 
until he is glorified in truth and knoweth all things. And part of the oath and covenant of the priesthood in D&C 84 verse 45 says this, For the word of the Lord is truth, and whatsoever is truth is light, and whatsoever is light is spirit, even the spirit of Jesus Christ. I think part of chasing darkness from us really is also chasing away the trivial, the shallow, the occupation of our mind and heart and spirit that is not worthy of an eternal soul. Sometimes these things can just be about who's the latest movie star who is interested in another movie star. The kinds of things you see at the checkout counter at the grocery store. Really, we have this obligation as covenant children of the Lord to seek light every day of our lives. Who was it that said that we should ask the Lord to forgive us for our shallowness and silliness? Was that Hugh Nibley or that Brigham Young? Hugh Nibley. Hugh Nibley. Yes. Oh my goodness. I, I pray for that a lot, to forgive me for my shallowness and my silliness. I mean, do we want to really remain in the shallows? I don't want to. It really is our choice. Now further, in Matthew 13, we read of the parable of the man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. This is really interesting because those tares are probably the darnel, and they look very much like wheat when they're in the growing stage. We saw them in Israel a All lot. the time, yes. One is life-sustaining wheat, and the other can cause convulsions and even death, the darnel. So if you were to pluck the darnel early from the field, you might be actually plucking wheat. You cannot tell. I love that song that we sometimes sing in church. Though in the outward church below, both wheat and tares together grow. Ere long will Jesus weed the crop and pluck the tares in anger up. Ultimately, the wheat and the tares look different from one another, and the tares must be taken away from the wheat. The explanation for this parable is given by the Lord in verses 36 through 43 of Matthew 13. Well, and as yet another bonus, we have modern revelation and interpretation on this parable in Doctrine and Covenants, section 86, verses 1 through 7. This reminds us, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, that the scriptures are often the greatest commentary on the scriptures. Let's look at an example. In 1 Nephi, chapter 10, verse 14, here's a commentary on the scattering and gathering of Israel. And look at all the things that are explained in this one verse. And after the house of Israel should be scattered, they should be gathered together again, or, in fine, after the Gentiles had received the fullness of the gospel, the natural branches of the olive tree, or the remnants of the house of Israel, should be grafted in, or come to the knowledge of the true Messiah, their Lord and their Redeemer. That's a lot of commentary. Gives us a way to understand the scriptures more than we could have understood them before. Yes, and when we sometimes find the scriptures to be a mystery, we really can look deeper into the scriptures themselves because they do make that wonderful commentary on themselves. Here's another example in Jacob 6 and 5 where it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I beseech of you in the words of soberness that ye would repent and come with full purpose of heart and cleave unto God as he cleaveth unto you. And while his arm of mercy is extended towards you in the light of the day, harden not your hearts. Watch for these commentaries right in the scriptures. They are everywhere. That was a commentary, of course, on repentance. Here's another, verses 31 through 32 of this chapter in Matthew, speaking of a grain of mustard seed. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. 
which indeed is the least of all seeds. And that is really true. You can hold those little mustard seeds, they're little black, tiny seeds. Hundreds of them in the palm of your hand. In the palm, palm of, your of your hand, they look like they're nothing. So this is the Lord calling it the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. What a wonderful view of what our faith can be. It can start tiny and become enormous. That is very hopeful to me. The prophet Joseph gave us a view of this parable. He said, Let us take the Book of Mormon, which a man took and hid in his field, securing it by his faith, to spring up in the last days or in due time. Let us behold it coming forth out of the ground, which is indeed accounted the least of all seeds, but behold it branching forth, yea, even towering with lofty branches and godlike majesty, until it, like the mustard seed, becomes the greatest of all herbs. And it is truth, and it has sprouted and come forth out of the earth, and righteousness begins to look down from heaven, and God is sending down his powers, gifts, and angels to lodge in the branches thereof. Isn't that a great view? Of that mustard seed, yes. He continued, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a mustard seed. Again, this is Joseph Smith speaking. Behold then, is not this the kingdom of heaven that is raising its head in the last days in the majesty of its God, even the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, like an impenetrable, immovable rock in the midst of the mighty deep, exposed to the storms and tempests of Satan, that has thus far remained steadfast and is still braving the mountain waves of opposition, which are driven by the tempestuous winds of sinking crafts, which have dashed and are still dashing with tremendous foam across its triumphant brow, urged on with redoubled fury by the enemy of righteousness. Joseph Smith, of course, would have had a wonderful view of the church's growth. Talk about a mustard seed that becomes a mighty tree. The church itself is an example of that, and each one of us, our example is something that starts small, small in our faith, small in our understanding, but our capacities, because we are really children of God, are immense. Let's look just briefly at the parable of the leaven. It's in Matthew 13, verse 33. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. That's a very simple one-verse parable. But we are the leaven, one member of the church only in a family, you are the leaven, a few active families in a small community, you are the leaven, a very strong leader in a relief society, she is the leaven, a temple in a nation is a leaven. What we've noticed wherever we go, and we didn't used to notice this many years ago, oh, Yes, someone says, my niece is a member of your church. Or, I have a friend at work who is a member of your church. He is the leaven. My aunt joined your church. She is the leaven. I had a friend growing up in high school who was a member of the church. She is the leaven. Being a leaven, and people ask us why we have 11 children. Duh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was so bad. (laughs) It was really bad. We hope those 11 children will be 11. Verse 43 then says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Notice that saying, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. This is usually in the scriptures to remind the reader that here is a hidden mystery to be found. Or in some case it means, here is a temple reference. In this case, it's both. In ancient times, The temple initiate was anointed or smeared with holy oil, and he or she would become an anointed one. 
and when that oil was smeared on their head or their forehead, it would give a certain sheen or shine to it. It would literally reflect the light of the sun, which is likened unto us, reflecting the light of the Son of God. Remember, the name of the Savior is Christus in the Greek, or Messiah, Mishiach, in the Hebrew, which means the Anointed One. Temple initiates, those who are willing to follow him absolutely, become anointed ones like unto the Savior. Hence, the word Christian means anointed ones. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's look briefly at the parable of the pearl of great price in verses 45 and 46. What are we willing to sell to obtain that pearl of great price? You remember Lamoni's father in the Book of Mormon. At first, he would give away half of his kingdom to have his life spared. Remember when Ammon could have taken his life. But then he says later on, when he learns of the plan of salvation, I will give up all that I possess, yea, I will forsake my kingdom, that I may receive this great joy. Now he's willing to give away a lot more. But look at the third level. But he goes this one step further. In Alma twenty-two eighteen. he says, O God, Aaron hath told me that there is a God, and if there is a God, and if thou art God, wilt thou make thyself known unto me, and I will give away all my sins to know thee. There's the key. So that's what he's willing to do to obtain that pearl of great price. I've always loved watching that progression in scriptures from half the kingdom to giving all my sins to know thee. And that really is what's asked, isn't it? It is. Just two more quick notes to talk about in this lesson. In Matthew 13, 55 and 56, we see the earthly family of Jesus in these verses. Joseph, Mary, his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Each of these would have been called James Bar-Joseph, son of Joseph, Joseph Bar-Joseph, which means Bar always means son of, Simon Bar-Joseph, and Judas Bar-Joseph. And we also see that Jesus has at least two sisters, likely more, but we do not know their names. We sometimes forget that Jesus had a family, a mother, a caretaker father, Joseph, four brothers, and two or more sisters. Jesus was not alone in his upbringing. Let's turn in closing to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. This is tender for me because I love to see any mention of women in the scriptures and what they were doing in the ministry of Christ. It came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, this is in verse 1 of Luke 8, preaching and shewing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. These verses help us see clearly that Jesus was followed by a number of disciples in his ministry, including many faithful women. I love knowing that. I love thinking of this wonderful entourage following Jesus wherever he went and serving him in whatever way they could. They ministered unto him of their substance. They're helping to take care of his daily needs for nutrition and care of his clothes and whatever mortality required of him. This is very tender to think about numerous disciples following him throughout his ministry and ministering to him. How would that be to minister to the Lord? And yet, that's what we have the opportunity to do often as we minister to our brothers and sisters in the gospel and to our neighbors and our kindred dead in the temple. 
I love that. I'm always saying to the Lord in my personal prayers how thankful I am for all he's given me and what can I do to just say my own word of gratitude in return. And it's good to know there really is a way by serving one another. Thanks for joining us this week. Next week's lesson will cover parts of Matthew chapters 14 and 15, Mark chapters 6 and 7, and John chapters 5 and 6, and is entitled, Be Not Afraid. Please share this podcast with your friends. It's located at ldsmag.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.